Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth, and the new year is very much upon us. But before we say goodbye to 2022 for good, let's look back on quite an interesting year in state politics. And joining me today to do that is Sarah Rahal, reporter for the Detroit News. Sarah, welcome back to Mishmash. Shayna, thank you for having me. So a lot happened in 2022. We had a midterm election that significantly changed the makeup of the state legislature starting next year. Abortion rights were lost and then reclaimed at the ballot box in Michigan. There's been a shift in union membership, a move toward electric cars. The list goes on. So for you, what has been the biggest statewide story of 2022? For me, it's how we dealt with the pandemic and abetting it in Michigan to see our jump back recovery, how fast it would take hold and where we are today is not where we thought we would be in March of 2020. So talk a little bit more about that. What has the state done this year that has really altered our sort of COVID-19 response? Well, we saw our restrictions lift. We definitely saw a lift on masks, uh, people becoming more comfortable and trying to get back to normal. It was probably our first holiday season that people weren't as anxious about getting together. I know some epidemiologists were still saying to stay at home, keep your circles small, and also, if you're feeling unwell, do not get together. And that is because we had a triple threat. We had COVID, its variants, RSV, uh, which was very new to the game and understanding it, as well as the flu. And this was the first year we expected to see an uptick of the flu because we hadn't seen it at all during the pandemic prior. And that triple threat can be very hard, especially for young children who are going back to school in January and don't have time to uh, get their entire household uh, sick. So that is what we've seen so far. And frankly, talking to scientists, it's very much more leaned back. And we finally understand this virus enough to know what to do and what not to do and when things are starting to arise. Um, We're not even worried particularly about um, major amounts of death um, that we're seeing based on how we're keeping our records. It's almost expected. What are you going to be keeping an eye out for in 2023? So I want to see how we come back into the new year, um, especially after this holiday season. I want to see if there's a huge uptick in cases, but also school outbreaks. And we, we would like to see long-term care facilities or nursing homes bounce back in their staffing shortages. Uh, that is something that we have not seen uh, for the last two years. Um, it seems like caregiving and nursing home shortages were already at a breaking point when we were in 2019. Come 2020, nobody could have expected the amount of death we were going to see in nursing homes, but also the amount of sickness that staff would have to face. And it doesn't seem like they've ever recovered. And there's nobody really replacing those jobs that people have left. So not only are we at a shortage for caregiving, (laughs) we have seniors who are probably in their homes or um, are at a care facility, but are not receiving the attention they deserve. So that is what I'm going to see in 2023 if we have become more lenient on our hospital system as well as our long-term care centers. A story you recently reported on that will affect the state going forward is the state's population dropped for the second year. Walk us through how much it dropped and what that means. Sure. Um, It only dropped by a couple thousand. I think it was 3,000. 
And that was the second consecutive year that we had more deaths than births and also more people leaving than finding residency here. If you're looking at the overall totals, it is just shy of 3,500 people that have left between 2021 and 2022, as well as um, another short drop from 2020. So I would say we've lost less than 50,000 people in the last two years. Um, but if you're being kind of smug, uh, whole Ohio lost more than us. Um, and also Illinois lost as well. So the Midwest itself suffered a population decline. And people are getting a, a little bit more concerned because we're not seeing the increase in deaths, but um, it's not by a huge number. So does it seem that the number is going down because of people moving out of the state? Is it because people are not having as many kids? Is it because of all the deaths from COVID and other things like that? What are they really attributing this to? You know, you hit the nail on the head. It's all three from just early results. The data released uh, by the Census Bureau indicates that it could be the 40,000 people that we did lose during the COVID pandemic. That's how many have, um, it's almost nearing 41,000 actually now um, that have died attributable to COVID. More people died in Michigan that were, that were born for the first time since the 1900s. It's called a natural decrease and it can be really hard to come back from, but it could also be a combination of people not having as many children as they used to. I remember quite a few years ago during one of my first state of the states that I covered, which for Governor Rick Snyder, he talked about how we need to increase Michigan's population even then. And it seems like it really hasn't been happening. Does the state have a plan right now for increasing the population or is this one of those things they just got to kind of ride out and see how it goes? You know, that's a question I didn't get answered from Whitmer's administration, but I would like to seek that answer. So you are the COVID-19 reporter for the Detroit News, and we talked a little bit about what COVID has looked like in 2022. We also mentioned that there's been a really tumultuous cold and flu season. COVID is still very much a concern, but now we're seeing a lot of those cases of flu and RSV, especially in kids. Talk us through how has this increase in these other illnesses impacted how we think of COVID? Has it sort of made COVID, like sort of put COVID on the back burner in terms of concerns? And do you think that when we get out of this cold and flu season, we're going to think of COVID even more differently? I think that it's more so that because more than 6.2 million people in Michigan have received their vaccines, 91% uh, of people who are above the age of 65 have completed all of the series and we're nearing 70% of the population. That very specific number that was always targeted in the beginning that said, if we just get to 70%, if we just get to this threshold, it would be almost as common as the flu. And here we are now approaching that number and it only took <laughs> um, so long. So I think that because we are more protected and immune by it at this point, it's become more widespread that people are familiar with it. They've seen it in their households or someone close that they've known. Many people have received it multiple times that it is becoming more comfortable with our population. Um, I would say that it is so comfortable that uh, you know across the US, we're seeing about 9% of counties have a high risk of medically significant disease um, and healthcare strains. That includes all three. And in Michigan, it's about 2%. So of, of that, that represents less than 1% of our population. 
And this is something that we aren't hearing so much right now. Um, we are still prepared to, I guess, take immediate action if things go a different way. But as of right now, there's not a huge strain on our healthcare as there was this time, even in January of this past year. Um, January 2022, we were seeing upwards of 20,000 cases a day, a single day. And now we're on an average of 2,000 per week. So that can just show you our high mark, which was January. And by December, we're just trying to see if it's going to bounce back the same wave again this January 2023. I want to circle back to something that you touched on earlier, which is uh, caregivers in the state. In November, you had a really moving piece on caregiving and how there are so many people caring for others, sometimes family, sometimes not, that are elderly, disabled, sick, and these caregivers are basically drowning. They're not getting paid enough. There's never enough of them, and they want state laws to change. Uh, tell us more about your piece, and do you see any movement on this issue in the future? The caregiving topic is a uh, collaborative that we're seeing um, across newsrooms as a part of the New York Michigan Solutions Journalism Collaborative. And it is a partner that uh, the Detroit News has opted into. Uh, Haley Harding is our data reporter and I, we, we took on this topic because it really resonated with both of us. Um, both of us served as caregivers in our time and um, have seen the impact. And specifically, we've written about just caregivers being at a breaking point. And we've talked about that earlier about how it's, it was well before 2019 or the pandemic that we were seeing a shortage in caregivers. At that time, Michigan was already projected to be at a 200,000, yeah, 200,000 staff-wide deficit of caregivers in the state. And that's only going to increase by 2026. Uh, we foresee that being much larger. So what we did was we dove deep into what laws are at the legislature that people are pushing for. Um, Whitmer recently signed a lot into the state budget uh, this past year, which allocated more funding for caregiving. And she poured a lot of money into PACE, which is a senior center that uh, runs through Medicaid. And they provide wraparound services. And it didn't just see an increase in, in Southeast Michigan, but in Marquette and other areas, um, higher Michigan. I would say that people are finally finding a way to get their voices heard. There's um, a statewide coalition that's working with a national coalition, and it's all based out of research that's coming out of MSU's research center. Um, there's so much here, so much to dive deep into, but people really need to care. Um, the issue around caregiving is that it pays so low and the work is so daunting. Um, you want people who are able to step into your home that you can trust uh, during COVID and the pandemic. That was not feasible for a lot of people. And to pay someone less than a McDonald's wage to do the most important job of our our time and our generation of taking care of the people we love the most is extremely hard um, to persuade, especially when the, the people that are doing it have to go through training. They have to pay for the training. They have to be able to uh, get to the training by transportation. Um, these are all problems that are just going to get worse. So that's why we've dove deep. We've done a couple pieces now uh, following different types of caregivers, including kinship caregivers. Um, those are typically people who are not um, taking care of someone that uh, they birthed or birthed them. They are stretching beyond their means oftentimes to take care of a loved one that is 
uh, a part of their in-laws family or someone they inherited based on, um, in most cases, it's death or uh, substance abuse, where a child is taken from a home or even a senior is displaced and um, moves into a multi-generational home. And these people are stuck in the middle uh, of taking care of both generations or one. And that really takes an impact on their lives and they almost become an informal caregiver in that way, um, not receiving the health benefits of the burden that they're taking off of the state's financial um, problems. So there are going to be more stories regarding caregivers. We are working on it uh, as we speak, and it's more so following the trajectory of what we can do to best pivot this issue and mediate the problem. And we believe that we can do this because solutions journalism isn't just talking about the problem, it's providing solutions from around the country where we are seeing uh, an impact. And I think we're getting to that point where Ohio is seeing a significant impact based on their advocacy and Michigan is starting to take hold in that same route because it is feasible to pay people for um, the care that they are providing even to their loved ones in their own home or find a day, day center so that that person can work instead of having to care for a senior all day. And when you come towards diseases like Alzheimer's, people need to be very aware of the signs and how to take care of them is a specialty at this point, but it should be more common. You covered Detroit primarily, and we talked about the biggest statewide story of 2022, uh, but what have been the big stories for Detroit? So yes, Detroit is going through its comeback kids city, right? It's becoming more dense, buildings are getting closer together, and things are finally stretching beyond downtown to the neighborhoods. We have a brand new city council that is gone through their first year. They come back January 2nd of 2023, and um, Mary Sheffield is really trying to increase transparency with the council. Um, they've had a pretty good uh, run so far. The only rift came between them and Duggan most recently, and it was over paratransit issues, um, another uh, senior caregiving thing. Uh, paratransit issues are at a big halt right now um, as they had to find an emergency plan. Uh, this is an issue that we've covered for the last two years where uh, TransDev, the major company, is was at a five-year renewal point with a $49 million contract. The riders themselves advocated against TransDev because they had been suffering a tremendous amount of issues. Uh, blind people were left at the wrong addresses. Um, wheelchair operators were not available. Uh, drivers sometimes showed up and appointments were made, but were not withheld. And it it's something that the riders are paying for, but also the city pays for. And it's a five-year contract. So they didn't want to be in the same situation for five years. And um, our new transit director actually made a whole new plan, but it wasn't agreeable at the time between the city council, the residents, and the Department of Transportation. So that is one big story that we're going to follow in 2023. How does this emergency contract operate? Is it going well? And what is the plan come April when a new contract has to be solidified? Sarah, before I let you go, you are the COVID-19 reporter for the Detroit News. Anything else that you wanted to add or thoughts that you wanted to leave our listeners with about the pandemic as it continues in the state? I would just say if we're going to go back to something with COVID, 
testing positivity is jumping around. It is like high one week, low the next week, and it just keeps jumping back and forth. And I think one thing that we're missing here is that testing at home, obviously it's not included. And the amount of people that are going out to get a PCR are typically doing it for work reasons or have an obligation to do so. And that's why we're seeing a lot less. So it doesn't mean that COVID's gone. It's just people are less frequently testing officially for the database. And when we see low numbers, I think that we just have to keep in mind that this is something that we're doing less frequently because it's becoming more common. So it doesn't mean that the risk isn't there. And that's something that epidemiologists have been trying to get out there as frequent as possible, just get boosted and um, frequently test before a major event because it's becoming more popular that we're seeing the same reactions of major events of people testing positive for a week or two later from the initial event. And so just because you go to an event and you come back home and three days later, you're not feeling well, it doesn't mean it's specifically from that event. It could have been something from two weeks prior because it could take time for you to develop the symptoms and then test positive. Another huge thing that we've also heard is that testing at home is only going to be extremely positive if you are symptomatic. <laughs> so to get an official result, you do need a PCR test, but you can test at home. If you are symptomatic and it does come up positive, you are likely positive. Sarah Rahal is a reporter for the Detroit News. Sarah, it's been so wonderful having you here on Mishmash. Love being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to our guest, Sarah Rahal from the Detroit News. Always a pleasure to have Sarah on the show. Mishmash is produced by WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This episode was produced by myself, Shana Roth, and the always amazing Hearns Laguerre Jr. Our news director is Jerome Vaughn. Hope he had a wonderful Christmas. And our podcast manager is David Lyons. Wishing him a very happy new year. Our digital team is Dave Kim and Sophia Joswiak, and our podcast interns are Ashley Harris, Patrick Burness, and Jack Philbrandt. As always, if you listen to this podcast and want to support it, you can do so by leaving us a review, or if you really, really like this podcast, and I truly hope you do, you can support WDET and all the amazing work they do there, including this show. Just go to WDET.org give. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in your feed in 2023.